0: Welcome to Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Today we continue our sermon series entitled, Christianity's Family Tree. In this series, we're exploring the different branches and denominations of the Christian church. Join us now for the message, The Pentecostals, The Power of the Holy Spirit. Good morning and welcome to worship here at Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. I'm Jane Grainer, and I'm the senior pastor.
1: And I'm Wesley McCall, and I'm the music director.
0: And we're just thrilled that you are worshiping with us today, particularly if it is your first time to be with us. Can you tell the difference between a medical emergency and the effects of the Holy Spirit? Do you know when to, say, pray and when you should call an ambulance? If you'd like to know the difference between that, and then stay tuned for later on in our service. As usual, uh, we will be taking prayer requests during this time of our service. If you've got a concern, a joy, or a request a blessing, just post that there in the Facebook feed. I'd also like to invite you, if you have not done so already this week, to please make an offering to the ministry of this church. You can do that through our website, tumcd.org. You can do that by simply mailing a check to the church or through our church center app. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, just some announcements coming up. Charge Conference, which is our church's annual business meeting, it's kind of like a stockholders meeting for the church. This is going to be Saturday, November 6th at 2 o'clock, And it's going to be held over at First United Methodist Church in Duncanville. And those of you on the leadership board will be receiving an email uh, with further information. But just get that on your calendars now, Saturday, November 6th, 2 p.m. at First Duncanville. The next day will be November 7th and will also be All Saints Sunday. And we will be commemorating all of our loved ones who have passed away since the last All Saints Sunday. I have received a list with some of those names, but if you have lost a loved one since our last All Saints Sunday, which is always the first Sunday in November, please uh, email me and make sure that I have that name so that we can lift up your loved one's name during that service. Uh, I think we are still still collecting child-sized masks for Smith Elementary. And you can put those in the church biz box there before our church's front door. To remind you that we have three connection groups that meet during the week. We have two that meet on Sunday mornings, our UM Disciplines class that meets uh, via Skype. And we also have our Lyft class that meets via Zoom. They're going to be wrapping up next week their study of the book, Faithful Witness in a Fractured World, Models for an Authentic Christian Life. And I have been told by Carolyn Manuel that they had a fantastic class this morning where they had the author of the book there as their Zoom guest who was able to join in on that discussion. One of the things that we have been able to do because of the pandemic is because authors are not able to do book tours as they normally do. They're making themselves available to via Zoom or Skype to be with classes small groups and Sunday school classes as they read their books as part of their studies. And so just everyday people have had this chance to have these wonderful one-on-one talks with these great authors. And evidently, the Lyft class had a great time with those authors or author this this last week. And finally, we have our pastor's Bible study that meets Wednesdays at 7 p.m. We just finished Genesis, so we're on a little bit of hiatus, but we're going to be starting up again Wednesday, November 3rd, Uh, starting with the book of Exodus, and again, that's at 7 p.m. Now let us enter into a spirit of worship and prayer with this Centering
1: Psalm. This morning's Centering Psalm is from Psalm 104. O Lord, how manifold are your works! In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Yonder is the sea, great and wide. Creeping things innumerable are there living things both small and great. There go the ships and the Leviathan that you formed to sport in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, They are created, and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Who looks on the earth, and it trembles. Who touches the mountains, and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditations be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. And now for our opening prayer. O God, the Holy Spirit, come to us and among us. Come as the wind and cleanse us. Come as the fire and burn. Come as the dew and refresh. Convict, convert, and consecrate many hearts and lives to our great good and to thy greater glory. This we ask in the sake of Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: And even though we cannot be together in the same space, we are together in the same time. So my prayer for you is peace be with you.
1: Our prayer for illumination. Eternal God, in the reading of the scripture, may your word be heard. In the meditations of our hearts, may your word be known. And in the faithfulness of our lives, May your word be shown. Amen. We have three scripture readings this morning. The first comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3. The second comes from the Book of Acts, chapters 1 and 2. And the third comes from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8. From Luke, chapter 3. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, The Word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As the people were filled with expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, "'I baptize you with water, "'but one who is more powerful than I is coming. "'I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals.' He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. From Acts chapters 1 and 2. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. In the last day it will be, God declares, that I pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even upon my slaves, both men and women. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And finally, from Romans chapter eight. Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know how, we, how to pray as we ought, but that very spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
0: Well, today is part seven of our series examining the different branches and denominations of Christianity's family tree, and I'm starting today with the story of three friends, and by that, I don't mean one story of three friends, but actually three stories of three different friends. The first friend grew up in the Episcopalian church. Now, two weeks ago, when we explored the Anglican Episcopalian heritage We said that while Episcopalians' theology is very similar to Methodist theology, Episcopalian worship more resembles the worship you might find in a Roman Catholic church. It's highly liturgical, it's very structured, it's based upon the Book of Common Prayer, which even though it has been revised on a regular basis, still goes back hundreds of years. The order of worship never varies from week to week, and there is very little of any spontaneity in their services. The atmosphere is very proper and very restrained. Well, back in college, my friend was invited to attend another friend's baptism. What she didn't realize is this was going to be a Pentecostal baptism. When the baptizan began to speak in tongues, my Episcopalian friend loudly exclaimed call 911, he's having a seizure. And then she started to to run for a telephone. This was in the days before cell phones. Another attendee had to run after her and explain that what she had witnessed was not a medical seizure, but a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. So my friend reluctantly went back to the service, was further traumatized by further bouts of speaking in tongues, and She remains quite suspicious of the Holy Spirit to this very day. My second friend grew up in the Assemblies of God. Now the Assemblies of God is by far the largest Pentecostal denomination in America. It has 3.2 million members just in the United States alone. In the Assemblies of God, speaking in tongues is a regular part of Sunday worship. One person will speak in tongues while another person will interpret the message. And both the speaking in tongues and its interpretation are both considered manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Speaking in tongues is seen in that church as evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, a second work of grace that happens after a person's initial conversion to the Christian faith. There is tremendous pressure in a Pentecostal church to speak in tongues, and while the church would never say this in in these terms, those who never speak in tongues get the impression that there's something wrong with them, that this Holy Spirit is, is blessing everyone else except them. Well, my friend was one of those who had never spoken in tongues. As a young person of faith, this was deeply troubling to her, and it was embarrassing to be the only one among her friends who had yet to speak in tongues. So one Sunday, while she was in high school, she decided that she was gonna just help the Spirit get started. Uh, She started to, she just decided to start kind of babbling on her own to get the Spirit started, and she hoped that the Holy Spirit would take the hint and would at that point take over. Uh, But that didn't happen. She babbled for a little while longer before quitting, and no one offered to translate her her tongue's message, and the whole experience left her embarrassed and feeling that the Holy Spirit was blessing everyone else except her. My third friend grew up in the United Methodist Church uh, since the age of four. But her grandfather, however, was an Assemblies of God pastor, so her personal faith has been very influenced by Pentecostal theology, particularly in the way that she looks toward the Holy Spirit. Now, this friend is the most powerful prayer that I have ever known. When she lays her hands on you and invokes the name of the Lord, you can feel the Holy Spirit wash over you. Tears will come to your eyes, and you'll stand up feeling as if the Holy Spirit has filled up every crack and crevice, crevice in your body and in your brain. And furthermore, she believes that there are times in your life when God will anoint you with the Holy Spirit for a specific time and purpose. God can anoint you with the Spirit, and then God can choose to remove that anointing after the particular purpose has been served. Well, as many of you are aware, the first time time I interviewed with the Board of Ordained Ministry for my ordination, I was deferred for a year. I was originally scheduled to be ordained in 2018, but when I was interviewed earlier in that year, I was not approved for ordination. And while deferrals are actually pretty common, nonetheless, it's also quite devastating when it happens to you. Uh, It ends up, I was going to have to wait until 2019. Well, in the meantime, in February of 2019, the United Methodist Church conducted the special called general conference to vote on the One Church Plan. And as you may recall, the One Church Plan was defeated, and their traditional plan was adopted instead. The traditional plan reinforced the church's ban on same-sex wedding and its ban on practicing gay clergy. Well, six weeks after that ill-fated general conference, I appeared once more before the board of ordained ministry for the second time. And this time, everything went perfectly. I was approved for ordination in 2019. So just a few months after the general conference voted to approve that traditional plan, The North Texas Conference ordained the first openly gay clergy person anywhere in the South. If I had been ordained a year earlier in 2018, I would—my ordination would not have had near the impact that it did in 2019 after that general conference. If I had been ordained in 2018 as originally planned, I would have been appointed somewhere, but it would have not been to Trinity United Methodist Church. That only happened as a result of me being ordained in 2019. My friend with the Assemblies of God Grandfather had an explanation for all this. To use her words, God had removed his anointing in 2018 because God intended for me to be ordained in 2019 when it would have the most impact. When the 2019 ordination interview came up, God powerfully anointed me with the Holy Spirit so that I would be approved. And I must admit, the day of that second interview, it it really felt as if I could do no wrong. For all you Harry Potter fans out there, it was as if I had woken up that morning and drank in an entire vial of Felix Felicis, that is liquid luck. I didn't stumble over a single answer to any of the questions. I felt relaxed and confident. My answers were articulate and witty. At times it felt as if the answers that were coming out of my mouth were so smooth that they weren't really coming from me. They were coming from somewhere deeper inside myself or maybe somewhere beyond myself. Maybe my friend was correct. God removed the anointing of the Holy Spirit for that first interview and then placed a powerful anointing for that second interview. In in a way, it certainly felt as if that's exactly what had happened. Well, just as as in other Protestant branches that we've explored here in this sermon series, there are a number of different Pentecostal denominations, uh, many different denominations that constitute this wing uh, that's called the Pentecostal Church. So in addition to the Assemblies of God, uh, which is predominantly white, there is the Church of God in Christ, which is predominantly black. There are several other denominations that actually include uh, the name Pentecostal in its title, the largest being the Pentecostal Assemblies of the World. Uh, the Pentecostal movement also includes the churches connected with the full gospel fellowship, the international chair, uh, excuse me, the international church of the Four Square Gospel, and the Vineyard Churches. What distinguishes the Pentecostal churches is the practice of speaking in tongues, also known as glossolalia. According to the book of Acts, on that original Pentecost Sunday, the Holy Spirit came with power to inaugurate the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus had promised his disciples right before he ascended into heaven that the Holy Spirit would come and empower them to preach the gospel, as it's quoted there in Acts in Jerusalem, and all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth." On the day of Pentecost, Peter and the other disciples spoke in the native languages of the Diaspora Jews who had come to Jerusalem to celebrate that holiday, and then all were able to hear the gospel in their own native tongue. Now the speaking in tongues that's usually referred to nowadays in Pentecostal churches is not the ability to speak an already established language, such as Latin or Greek, but is, it is the utterance of an unknown language, perhaps a heavenly or a spiritual language, and only those who have been empowered by the Spirit to interpret that message can then tell us the meaning of that utterance. Now there are other Christians who speak in tongues who are not members of Pentecostal churches, And these Christians are usually called charismatics. This is taken from the Greek word uh, charismata, which means spiritual gifts. And charismatics can be found in nearly every uh, both mainline Protestant and evangelical Protestant denomination out there, as well as there are charismatics in the Catholic Church as well. Uh, Several years ago, First United Methodist Church in Bedford was a charismatic United Methodist Church, even though it is my understanding that that is no longer the case. Now, it might surprise you to know that the Pentecostal movement arose out of the Methodist movement. While John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, did not stray too far from Anglican theology, he did emphasize the need for a personal conversion to the Christian faith, as well as the importance of the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. This ongoing work of the Spirit is called sanctification. And it is through the process of sanctification that we come to have, as Paul writes in Philippians, as we come to have the same mind that was in Christ Jesus. Wesley also introduced the concept of Christian perfection as the end goal of sanctification. Now, Christian perfection doesn't mean you become a perfect person that never makes a mistake, but rather that the Holy Spirit has perfected you in love. In other words, that your thoughts and actions, you come to a place where your thoughts and actions are motivated by nothing but your love of God and neighbor. Now, one can shift into and out of. A state of perfect love, but the further one grows in the process of sanctification, the more time that one is going to spend acting out of a state of perfect Christian love. The experience of sanctification was so important to Wesleyan his theology that he often referred to human experience, particularly religious and spiritual experience, as being an additional source and norm for Christian theology. He added experience to that three-legged stool that he inherited from his Anglican uh, past that includes scripture, tradition, and reason. As Methodism continued to spread across America in the 19th century, a split began to develop. Some Methodists were drawn to a more intellectual expression of the Methodist faith. They were open to the new ideas being proposed in the fields of of biblical studies and theology. Furthermore, they became very interested in what we would now refer to as issues of social justice. Now on the other hand, other Methodists began to emphasize personal piety and adhere to a more conservative theology. They embraced the idea of sanctification to the point that they rejected things that they considered to be signs of worldliness, things such as uh, dancing or fashion or makeup or gambling or drinking or smoking. They strove highly for what they saw as personal holiness. These holiness Christians began to split off in the Methodist Church and form their own denominations. And the holiness denominations that are still active today include the Free Methodist Church, the Wesleyan Church, the Church of the Nazarene, the Christian and Missionary Alliance, and the Salvation Army. It is from these holiness churches then that the Pentecostal movement was born. In 1900, a holiness minister by the name of Charles Fox Parham, he founded the Bethel Bible College in Topeka, Kansas. The following year, after an intensive study of the book of Acts, Parham became convinced that there was a separate baptism of the Holy Spirit that could happen after one's initial conversion to Christianity and one's water baptism. In his view, this is what John the Baptist was talking about, this baptism of the Holy Spirit, when John preached, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming... He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The baptism of the Holy Spirit was what happened when those original apostles spoke in the different tongues on that first Pentecost morning. In fact, Parham believed that speaking in tongues was the outward sign of evidence that someone had indeed received this baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, Parham and his students prayed fervently to receive this gift of speaking in tongues. And finally, one day, one of the students did did succeed to speak in tongues. And before you know it, Parham and all his students were speaking in tongues. Parham, um, Parham began to tour the nation, then speaking and preaching about this phenomenon that had happened at his Bethel Bible College. And he eventually made his way to Los Angeles, where in 1906, He became part of a revival that began on Azusa Street where hundreds of people within a racially integrated congregation began to speak in tongues. Uh, This event was reported in the local press, and before you knew it, thousands of people came to Azusa Street to see this for themselves. And this went on for months, and it was out of the Azusa Street revival that the Pentecostal movement grew then out of the Holiness Movement. So it went from Anglicism to Methodism to the Holiness Movement to Pentecostalism. And this is a connection that would very much surprise my Episcopalian friend who found herself at that Pentecostal baptism so many years ago. Since it is the speaking in tongues that distinguishes the Pentecostal Movement, let's then take a deeper look at the Now, while there are theological differences between the different Pentecostal denominations, most see speaking in tongues as a sign of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is believed that every Christian receives the Holy Spirit upon their initial conversion and their baptism with water. Some Christians, however, then also receive what is called a second act of grace— the baptism of the Holy Spirit, where the Spirit fully immerses the believer just as the believer was, was fully immersed in water at their initial baptism. This second grace, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is evidenced by the speaking in tongues. But participants also describe the internal transformation that they experience as they speak in tongues. Um, they feel as if they are filled with. With the Holy Spirit, and they are they are being empowered by God to work for God's greater glory. They turn to the first Pentecost as an example. They would say the original apostles were already disciples and believers in Christ before that first Pentecost, but after they were baptized with the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. They were then empowered by the Spirit to inaugurate the Church and to lead it with all boldness. Those who experience speaking in tongues describe it as a phenomenon that is both within their control and yet beyond their control. They say that the tongues won't come until they have relaxed themselves, where they let the Spirit freely move within them. And yet, even when they're speaking in tongues, they have the power to stop if they so choose, and they are very adamant that God does not overcome at any point their own free will. They compare their experience to what Paul wrote about in Romans when he said, "'Likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words, and God who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit.'" because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now most, but not all, Pentecostals reinterpret Wesley's theology of sanctification. These Pentecostals see sanctification as an event instead of a process. Um, They believe that in that moment of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they experience entire sanctification. In other words, in that moment, They are made perfect in love. While Wesley believed that it was possible for the Spirit to bestow complete sanctification in a single moment, because after all, God can do anything that God desires, he never claimed this for himself, and he was deeply suspicious of those who did claim to be entirely sanctified or fully brought into Christian perfection. Though we don't have time to examine all of these more closely, other theological emphases of the Pentecostal movement include, first of all, the importance of a deep personal friendship with Jesus, the belief that the second coming of Christ will happen very soon, probably sometime within their lifetimes, and that the other manifestations of the Spirit's power include prophecy and miracles, particularly miracles of healing. So what is it that we can learn from our Pentecostal siblings? Well, first of all, we can learn perhaps a negative example from Pentecostalism about that tendency for all of us to create kind of an us versus them mentality. In Pentecostal churches, there really isn't a long-term option for those who never succeed in speaking in tongues They're always going to feel like second-class citizens in their own congregations, and most will leave for another denomination or sometimes leave the church altogether. We must remember that every barrier that we put up for others to hurdle over, the more barriers then, then we erect between God and God's people. We want to encourage others to participate in spiritual practices And to have both personal and communal experiences of the divine. Yet we don't want to set the bar so high that experience of goodness and presence of God begins to feel as if some sort of exclusive club that they have been left out of. An exclusive club that is limited to only the most holy of people. You see, God desires to be in relationship with all the people. But a very positive lesson that I think we can learn from our Pentecostal siblings is to take the Holy Spirit more seriously. I sometimes refer to the Holy Spirit as the forgotten stepchild of the Trinity, and I do say that with apologies for any of you out there that are stepchildren. But we may have a robust theology of God the Father or a robust theology of God the Son, but often the theology of God the Holy Spirit leaves us scratching our heads. So many of us think of ourselves as those types of Methodists that value learning and education and reason. We are rational people of faith who welcome the insights of the natural and behavioral sciences, people who who are excited about the bounties that we can receive from human knowledge and the way that can inform our Christian faith. But oftentimes, though, what ends up happening is we also miss out on the very real power of the Holy Spirit. You see, the Spirit is not someone who can be nailed down. The Spirit is nebulous and liminal, as I've often said before, because the Holy Spirit is often symbolized by wind, that the Holy Spirit is God as close as our own breath. I believe I experienced that power of the Holy Spirit during my second ordination interview. And just as those who do speak in tongues describe the necessity of opening up our interior lives so that the Spirit can freely move, we too need to open up ourselves to the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, I often go through a visual meditation where I imagined that there are like um, like floodgates, spiritual blockades running through my body. And part of my visual meditation is I imagine those floodgates opening up and allowing the spirit to move freely throughout my person, up and down. This, this, this freeing of the floodgates then overcomes my natural tendency to want to compartmentalize and rationalize and contain. In this meditation, I acknowledge that I don't have to rationally understand it all before I surrender to the presence of God in the Holy Spirit. And the more I open myself to the Holy Spirit, the more I see God moving in my life, allowing me then to be a conduit of God's love and grace. Now, I think many of us right now, we're missing this chance to share in Holy Communion together. And I can tell you on a personal level, I dearly miss... Consecrating communion, because when I do, I can feel the Spirit moving through me into the elements and in the hands of all of you that I then put there the bread, the, the bread of Jesus Christ. And that's though, provided though, that I have allowed my rational mind to open up those floodgates to let that Spirit flow. You see, the Holy Spirit is always present in our lives, present always just right here with us. When the Holy Spirit comes with power, some of us may speak in tongues or experience miraculous healings, but for most of us, the power of the Holy Spirit is going to be manifested in more mundane, but no less important ways. It ends up that you could be the one who senses when someone needs to talk or when someone just needs a hug. You can be the one that listens to the Holy Spirit and ends up making a deep difference in the life of a child or a teen, you can be the one that feels that prompting of the Holy Spirit and finally decides to get involved in order to bring about some sort of social justice. On a personal level, the Holy Spirit may give you the grace and power to either make that move to uh, end or begin a relationship, to go back to school, to take that new job, to finally follow that calling that you have been now feeling for so many years. On a congregational level, the Holy Spirit will be the power through which we reconstitute our congregation as we finally move back into our building. Timothy Tennant is the president of Asbury Theological Seminary in Kentucky. And this is a seminary that has Methodist roots. And I read a quote of his many years ago that has just stayed with me ever since. Uh, Timothy Tennant said, Attempt something so big that unless God intervenes, it is bound to fail. Attempt something so big that unless God intervenes, it is bound to fail. Something big, like, say, rebuilding a church that was entirely flooded after already being closed right here from a pandemic, a, a pandemic, and also then... Having a thief and a vandal come in and destroy all our audiovisual equipment, you know, something that's just that big. One more thing. The exceptional times when the Holy Spirit does come with power, with transformational power. these hap- these will happen far more frequently if we are open to the Holy Spirit on just an everyday basis. If we're spending some part of every day in prayer, it's just part of our everyday lives, and letting the Spirit move us in small ways, therefore preparing us for those times when the Spirit comes and moves us in big transformational ways and l- allows us to accomplish things that unless God had not intervened, we wouldn't have most certainly failed. Last week, I enjoined you to pray regularly and favor- fervently for our church, and I ask you again— to be praying daily for the reopening of our church if trinity united methodist church ever needed the anointing of the holy spirit it's right now as the methodist movement was gaining ground in england during the ministry of john wesley the methodists were criticized for being called for being enthusiasts and this was intended as an insult but we're in a time in history when once more we must move boldly with enthusiasm and be open to that anointing of the Holy Spirit. And so may we once again see the days when God shall proclaim, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old shall dream dreams, and your young shall see visions. Even upon the enslaved and the oppressed in those days, I will pour out my Spirit. Amen. Oh, that was lovely. And now we come to the part of our service where we lift up our joys and concerns up to the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. We want to be keeping all of those who have recently suffered losses to continue to keep them in our prayers. Uh, of course, by these, I mean certainly the Gene the Burson family, Donna, David, Denise and all of their families as they continue to deal with uh, uh, the after effects of Jean's recent death. We also uh, remember that uh, Ken Norwood recently lost a nephew and that Michael Wesley recently lost a niece. And so for all of those who are in mourning uh, for these persons and for others, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. I forgot one right there. We prayed for uh, my friend Cade Rogers, for his mom and stepdad last week. Uh, They were in the hospital with COVID. But since then, I think it was just later uh, last Sunday, his stepdad, uh, Jake, uh, passed away from COVID. His mom went home, but his stepdad passed away. Um, and he, uh, uh, Kate has a, a little sister who uh, named Bentley. He was only 10 years old. And so she's le- losing, uh, dealing with now the loss of her father. So I wanted to say then a special prayer for Kate and his family, and again, for all of those that are still being affected by COVID. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Uh, uh, Wesley uh, asks, Wesley McCall asks that we pray for, pray for my kids and colleagues this week. Big goals and expectations, lots of pressure. Just need patience and understanding with one another. So let, let's lift up all of Wes, let's lift up Wesley and his colleagues and his kids. And in fact, let's just go ahead while we're at it and lift up all the educators and students out there because they all need our prayers. that in the, the days and weeks ahead, they will continue to be able to see the big goals and meet the big expectations and yes, to still have patience with one another. So for all our students and all our educators, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Also, uh, two people in my personal um, sphere uh, need some prayers. My aunt, Nora, uh, went into the hospital this week for an emergency appendectomy, and Nora is the only surviving member of that generation of of my parents. Um, I have heard though this morning that Nora is doing better. And so I'm very grateful for that. Uh, But special prayers for my Aunt Nora and for my cousin Rebecca, who also then now has to be making lots of decisions with her mom about what her care will look like in the next few weeks. So for my Aunt Nora and my cousin Rebecca, Lord in your mercy, hear our prayer. And finally, my former brother-in-law, but uh, still someone I consider family, John, he had a stroke this last week. And so we want to be praying for John and his recovery, and then praying for uh, my niece and nephews' children, uh, particularly my niece, who's a doctor and feels a great deal of uh, responsibility for his care that uh, John will get better and that my niece and nephews will feel God's presence and strength as they deal with this. So for uh, John, Stephanie, Matt and Andrew, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We do have a prayer of thanks, a prayer of gratitude for the professors Nicole Johnson and Michael Snar who those were the authors that uh, were present uh, in the Lyft class this morning, the authors of Faithful Witness in a Fractured World Models for Authentic uh, Christianity, that book, uh, Authentic Christian Life, or I think as think Evelyn likes to call it, How Not to Be a Crappy Christian. So they want to offer up thanks for writing the book and taking the time with be, to be with them in their class this morning, and we thank God for them. So for all of these authors— that write these books and articles and curriculum that help us become closer to God and to learn more about Jesus Christ and to more fully be able to be infilled by the power of the Holy Spirit. The spirit that inspires these authors and writers, therefore then becomes an inspiration for us. So we thank God for them and the times that they spend on these wonderful materials that we so appreciate. So good writers like these, this is the work of the Lord. So therefore, thanks be to God. And as I also said during my sermon and said last week, I am asking that every single member of our church pray daily that we can get our church building finished and we can get back. We we need the Holy Spirit at this point in our life of our church, to come in and help us get this done, so that we can meet in person again. We're praying for Trinity, and praying for that anointing of the Holy Spirit. And so now, with the confidence of the children of God, let us pray the prayer that our Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Remember that you can always find a recording of our worship service uh, on our Facebook page. Or on our website, tumcd.org, or on our church's uh, podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. And so, my action item for this coming week ahead pray every day for the Holy Spirit to anoint Trinity United Methodist Church. And now, receive this benediction. Go forth from this place in the power of the Holy Spirit. Go forth to dream dreams and to see visions, knowing that God has poured out the Spirit upon us all. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Love your neighbor. Go in peace. enjoyed and were blessed by today's service. Join us next Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11 a.m. Next week we'll be exploring the Methodist Church as we wrap up our sermon series exploring the different branches and denominations of the church in Christianity's Family Tree. If you can't join us live, you can always listen to the recording of our service. You'll find that on our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. God bless you in the week ahead. We'll see you Sunday at Trinity United Methodist Church.